the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we'll be revisiting a number of rookies, as well as comparing the 2014 prospects of two catchers. And uh, I gotta say, it's plainly obvious that Garrett Cole listens to our podcast. We pleaded for more strikeouts, we wondered where they were, and sure enough, he comes with 12 strikeouts in six innings today, now he has 33 Ks in 26 September innings. Is Garrett Cole listening to our podcast? <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's been pretty remarkable. Uh, but, you know, the funny thing was that if you just looked at his stuff from the beginning, you're like, damn, that guy's going to strike people out. And it was kind of weird that he didn't strike people out. So I think they just wanted him to focus on mechanics and on getting the fastball right and, uh, and, uh, and starting and building everything off the fastball so that he didn't, um, you know, blow his arm out too early. Or it was just a small sample size. I mean, we always talk about not putting much weight on small sample size, and yet when a, a top pitching prospect comes up that's a fireball that, that you expect to strike out a lot of batters, and he's not, immediately people are pressing the panic button after 20 innings. And I think yeah, we, just another know, lesson learned. It's, you know, one of the things that's hard about, about starters is that you get like a chunk of information every five days. And so the samples kind of lurch forward, um, and uh, it's almost like as if you got a week's worth of information from every hitter every day, um, or every day that you, you got any information. So I feel like it does make sense for us to analyze every start, and you know, in his, in his, you know, with Cole in particular, he changed his pitching mix, and that was something that you can see. He didn't, he wasn't really throwing the slider that much early in the season. Now he's throwing it. So. Um, you know, I think you can point to that and say that's <clears throat> that's sort of where the strikeouts came from. And then when you ask him, he says, you know, well, they don't really focus on the slider. It's all about the the two seamer. And uh, and you see that he's you know throwing the two seamer a little bit less now. That he's throwing the slider more. So I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And I think um, in his case, it, you you do want to watch these guys if you can, especially the young guys, because you can kind of see whether the guy. You know, I really, I still haven't watched Tanner Rourke. I need to watch him because you know I don't know why he's he's blanking people. And he since he doesn't have any pedigree, I have to assume that it's deception or something. You know. You know, Tanner's last name is actually pronounced Roark, which reminds me of <laughs> the, uh, the the capital of Delaware, which is spelled the same way as Newark, New Jersey, but it's actually Newark, Delaware. And uh, I guess it makes sense. Roark in Washington, D.C., which is near Delaware, so that he would pronounce his name that way. I guess that all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right, so our most interesting player alive today, and I have a feeling he's going to appear here quite a lot after every game where he steals multiple bases. Actually, Billy Hamilton started his first game in the majors yesterday. Was it yesterday? Are we on the 19th or the 20th? Yeah. It was yesterday. This was actually his first multi-steal game. I guess it's because he's pinch run so many times, and obviously he's going to steal his one base and then score his run. But what a first start for his career. Three for six, two runs scored, an RBI, a double, four stolen bases, and he's yet to get caught. 
I, I mean, this is basically a fantasy owner's wet dream because you, you kind of imagine what he can do over a full season. Nine steals in eight games. It's just insane. But I want to first talk about – somebody asked me whether it was on Twitter or somewhere else – about his rest-of-season steamer and zips projections. And at this point in the season, you have to assume that this is going to be pretty close to his projection for next season. And that I'm not going to get bogged down in the individual slashes, but zips, a 303 Woba, steamer, a 278 Woba, that's a pretty big difference. And, uh, I mean, it's easy to see where the difference stems from. Zips is projecting a higher walk and strikeout rate, steamer, a lower walk and a lower strikeout rate, and a much lower BABIP. Any idea why the, the huge discrepancy here and, and which projection would you lean toward as being more accurate? Yeah, I mean, if you look at his uh, minor league numbers, I think you can see where it came from. I mean, if you weight his AAA the most because maybe perhaps it's the highest level, uh, then you're weighting the, his 6.9% walk rate the most. Um but if you look at if you reach back and you get his double A and, and high A stats from 2012, then you're getting a double digit walk rate. Um, so that's probably where Zips is getting the higher walk rate. Um, you know, I don't see necessarily um, that it almost. It, I mean, it matters. It obviously matters. But I, I think that both of those numbers will play in the big leagues because of his excellent, excellent base running and because he, um, I think he's going to be a good defender because, you know, he, he might not take great routes to the ball all the time, but he has such crazy speed that he can close it, you know, you know, he can, he can get to the ball. So, you know, from what I've seen live, I think that he's going to be a good defender. So if you take a good defender, you give him uh, an average walk rate, and you give him this blazing fast speed on the on the on the base paths. I think you get a guy who can be, you know, a starting center fielder for the Reds. Um, so you know whether or not he hits 240, 250, or 260 next year, um, you know, depends on a lot of factors and on the growth of uh, of him as a switch hitter and so on. But you know, to me, 240 with like a, a 80 steals or something, uh, I'd probably own that. How about 150 steals? <laughs> <laughs> there was this great piece on Baseball America today where J.J. Uh, Cooper broke down that it's basically impossible to throw him out because he can get to he can get to second base in 3.1 seconds. And basically, what that means is you have to have a, a, a one of the better slide stepping pitchers get, uh, throw the ball because um, slide steps take about 1.2 seconds, and then you have to have one of the best throwing catchers in the league because the like a Yadier Molina guy can can throw it in 1.8 seconds. So that means that if you have the one of the better faster pitchers to home plate and he throws it home at 1.2 and then you have Yadier Molina throwing it back to to second, you might get him by 0.1 seconds. That's basically the scenario where you have a chance of getting him out. Then you have to make sure that the throw itself is good, the tag is good. So it's just crazy to think that we're all talking about a perfect scenario just for a possible chance of tagging him out. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I, you, you look at it, he has these crazy, uh, you know, 90% uh, in, a couple, in a couple of years, he had like 85% success rates. And this, you know, that's 85% success rates, not like 8 out of 10. It's like 104 
out of 120. So, um, you know, I think uh, I think he's going to be really exciting, and I think they'll look past, especially a guy like Dusty Baker. You know, he doesn't. You know, on base percentage is not the thing that he's looking for. I think he's looking to see. You know, is Billy Hamilton going to play well in center field, and is he going to make enough contact to have you know a 250, 260 average, which you know, I think he he can do it. I mean, there's there's some question about the contact. He's had some bad strikeout rates, but he's been developing as a switch hitter, and um, and you know, I think that Dusty will see what's happening right now, and we'll just get too excited about that. I think he's going to need those walks to really be a productive major league hitter. Otherwise, he's basically going to end up like D. Gordon. That's my thoughts there. But do you think that the Reds are going to re-sign Shinsu Chu and then move him to left field? Because I think if they do that, he would make a perfect number two hitter and then give Votto a, a really great position to knock in runs right behind Chu. And then every time Billy Hamilton gets on base, it's basically like a double. And, and so, I mean, that's a, a really great spot. Even if Billy Hamilton's on base percentage isn't that great. Even if it's only 330 or something... I think it's still a pretty good spot to be hitting behind him, and that's going to really boost Vado's uh, RBI totals with men on base ahead of him a lot. Yeah, I mean, look at that. Look at that Zips rest of season total. Um, you know, two sixty eight, three thirty. Uh, that's that'll play in the first in the in in, in the leadoff spot for 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 a Dusty Baker team, and um, you know whether or not they they sign Chu or not. I think that no matter what. You know Ludwig is gone, um, and I don't think that necessarily they are so in love with Heisey and Robinson and all the other outfitters they've thrown out there. So um, I think they will spend some money on the outfield, and I think it's a lot easier to spend some money on a corner outfielder. You know, like go get Beltron and and put and put Hamilton in center than it is you know to um, to spend on a center fielder. And I think you know I. Chu's been not as bad as I thought, but he's still a minus 15 center fielder, and I don't think they'll necessarily want to continue that experiment. Yeah, Chu is not good in center field, obviously not a future center fielder, and that's going to help their pitching staff and their defense, I would think, if they moved him back to a corner. And uh, I was a bit surprised that Billy Hamilton didn't lead off in his start yesterday. I guess it's because Chu has been leading off all year. You don't want to screw that up, you know, at the end of the season. But I have to assume that he's basically a lock, assuming he opens the year with a starting job in center field. He's basically a lock to be their leadoff hitter. We know Dusty Baker, for whatever reason, doesn't actually care for his hitters to get on base. And so if you ignore Hamilton's potentially mediocre on base percentage, you know, his speed alone, that's all Dusty needs for him to put him into the leadoff spot. Yeah, people were asking me where where I would draft him, and you know there is some risk. I mean, right now we don't know, but let's say you know going into next season, we know he's going to be a center fielder. There is the risk then becomes what his batting average is going to be, and if it's uh, and then and there is additional risk because if his batting average is really bad, it could mean either he drops the bottom of the order or he drops out of the you know the plan. So. Um, he gets demoted even. I mean, that's a possibility given his history. So um, I think there's risk there. I wouldn't want to take him, you know, among my first five position players because I like those guys to be less risky. I like those guys to be five tool guys. Um, so and then, you know, I'd, I'd love to have a starter or two. So I'd feel better about him in the sort of seven, eight, nine, ten rounds, you know. 
Um, and it would be hard for me to take him any higher than that, even even with the promise of 100 steals. Yeah, I think a good comp is actually D. Gordon, basically a rich man's D. Gordon, because remember last year when, uh, I believe it was last year, he opened the season with the starting job. And uh, yeah. a, a lot of the projections, it was basically boomer bust. I, I think I may have made a bold prediction saying that he was going to be a bust and be demoted by May. And I think I ended up being right. But it basically came down to he was either going to be a bust and be demoted soon or he was going to steal 70 bases. And I think we're going to see the same potential for Billy Hamilton. He's either a bust, he stinks up the joint, he gets demoted by the end of May, or he steals 80-plus bases and he's a fantasy star. And you're going. He's going to have a ton of hype next year, so it's not like you're going to get him cheap where there's a whole lot of profit potential. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, he's so superlative that you know. I think it's it's hard to say this without sounding stupid. I feel like even when even if he's hyped, there could be hype beyond that. You know what I mean? Like, let's say people people will project. I think like he'll be projected into you know 50, 60, 70 steals, right? He could steal 100 bases. Yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And we've, right. never, so like seen, we've never said that before, or we have in, in, in probably decades, to, yeah. so, to get I a mean, player who could possibly steal 100 bases. Yeah, and, and if someone, you know, usually, the for me, like in my rotor leagues, you know, steals are like 100, 120, 140, you know. Yeah, he's a category winner. I mean, we talk about that with, like, we've, we've called – you know, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, we've called him a category winner before, but that's, that's not true. You know, even, even if he hadn't had a bad year, he would have hit 40 homers and that didn't win you a category. But if you had one guy steal you a hundred bases, that's a category. winner. Yeah. You know what? That changes your entire draft. You can now ignore steals your entire draft and focus on power. And, and then you can end up affording to go for guys that other people don't really care about because, they're, you know, a, a 25 home run, 270, zero steals at first base. And that, that's not worth a whole lot, but that is a benefit for your team because you don't need steals. And so all you're worrying about is home runs, and, and that can really make it interesting for you and the guys that you go after in your draft. Yeah, or you could do a, a regular, maybe just a power, shifted towards power draft where you pick a guy like Stanton in the third round instead of a guy like Chu. You know, you know, instead of going twenty twenty, you go you go for the guy who's like forty forty zero. Yeah, exactly. And, and then you you look up, and it's like the fifth or sixth round, and then you have a really choice to make. You're like, okay, I have no steals, you know, and maybe I can get cobbled together some Rajai Davis types at the very end, and maybe I'll be okay. Or maybe I take a shot at Billy Hamilton now, and that either turns into a great saves chip. Or it, you know, it just wins me that category on top of all this other power I got. So I think he's going to be interesting. I, I wouldn't put him on a don't draft list. Um, I doubt he'll end up on a lot of my teams, depending on how quickly he rises through the ranks. Um, and like I said, I'd rather get him closer to double digits, where most of my team is, most of my starting team is set, and I'm starting to take some shots at people. Yeah, I guess it'll also depend on how, if you're doing a snake draft, how your early picks went. I mean, if you had already drafted Mike Trout and uh, Carlos Gomez, then obviously it would be overkill to draft Billy Hamilton. You don't need 250 steals on your team to win the category. 
Right. Then, then if you're taking a shot at a high variance player, you maybe take a shot at Will Myers or something to get the power. You know, yeah. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't put him on a don't draft list, and I think it'll be a lot of fun to own him next year. So I, I own him in one league this year, and uh, I've been slotting him in in a head-to-head league just to win steals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move along to another exciting young player, and that's Jordano Ventura, who apparently set a velocity. Well, it wasn't really a record, but apparently his 101.9 mile an hour fastball was the fastest pitch thrown by any starter in the last five seasons. Now, what's odd is that you would think for a guy who averaged 97 miles per hour with his fastball would generate more than a 3.5% swinging strike rate. So, I mean, is is this just uh, an example of a pitcher who's just throwing his guts out, throwing a bunch of straight fastballs, thinking that he can get them by major league hitters, and major league hitters can hit a fastball, and he's got to learn to pitch that whole cliche that I hate, but he's got to learn to become a pitcher rather than a thrower. Uh, I thought the curveball looked pretty good. Um, I don't think it was terrible. One thing that's going on that might be interesting is that I think he was home for that uh, that game, and the uh, Kauffman Stadium gun is um, yes, is a little hot. hot. Yeah. Uh, so that, 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 that could be it a little bit, but I mean, whatever he's, 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 he's got gas. That's one thing. And the, I think the curveball looks pretty good. The thing that worries me a little bit more is that, um, he's got, uh, I think he's got inconsistent mechanics. You can look at his release points. They're a little bit all over the place. And even when you watch him, there's a little bit of unsteadiness in, in his release. So, um, that's been the knock on him. The control hasn't always been there. The mechanics are a little bit rough. People wonder about his long-term health. Um, but I do think he will strike more batters out in the future. Yeah, of course. And obviously that's a great start. To, I mean, if you're telling me that a starting pitcher just came up and he averages 97 with his fastball, yeah, I'm intrigued immediately. So he's got a, a whole lot of cushion because he can, you know, if nothing else is working for him, at least he can lean back and, and, and focus on blowing fastballs by hitters, which is basically a lot of what Danny Salazar has been doing when his off-speed pitches, breaking pitches, haven't exactly been that sharp. Yeah, and if you're talking about next year, um, you know, this is the kind of talent that the, the Royals have been waiting for for a really long time. This is the kind of talent they wanted out of Hokovar. This is what they wanted out of Shields. They always wanted to have a tie-in pitching talent. It's taken them a really long time. And... Um, I think that they will push his innings a little bit. He, this year he's going, I mean, obviously this year they're in the hunt uh, suddenly, and I think they'll, they'll give him a couple starts. And you'll look up uh, at the end of the season, and he'll probably be at 150 innings, which means that next year he could go as high as 180 innings. So, um, yes, that's a small, that's a, there's a small risk of uh, some limit at the end there. But um, that's not, uh, that's, not a, a, that's, that's pretty good Full season. I mean, that's 180 innings. That's a pretty good season. Yeah, so next week, uh, here's the question. He's got a two-start week in the final week of the season at Seattle and at the Chicago White Sox. I mean, you, you really can't get a much better two-start matchup than that. I mean, it would be better if it was at home. These are two away starts, which isn't great. But, I mean, both offenses are not good. One of the worst in the American League. Now, I picked him up in my 12-team mixed league just as an option to consider starting for next week if I can if I'm desperate for wins and strikeouts. Would you advise 
owners in, in leagues as shallow as a 12-team mixed who, who might need wins and strikeouts to pick them up given those matchups. Yes. Yes, those are great matchups, and there's not a lot of, um, of you know, there's not a lot of people out there still that could give you, you know, the possible, uh, you know, like 14, 15 innings and, and, and 10 to 15 strikeouts and great numbers. Those are great. Those are patsy teams. You know, those are, you know, those are easy, easy matchups for him. And, um, you know, he's got he's got real strikeout upside. So I think, you know, I'm looking at a, a 15 team team right now and I'm, I'm going to blow my budget on him. I got I mean, what else is there out there for me, you know, in FAAB? So, right. I mean, that's what it is, is that it's the end of the season and I'm looking for high upside guys that have the potential to have a dominating, you know, a, a six, seven inning eight strikeout performance. And, and there's really not very many. It's usually just the mediocrities that are out there still that aren't really strikeout pitchers that, yeah, you might luck into a decent outing. But when you have a, a talent like Ventura who could potentially have a big outing and if you still need pitching, he's a guy to gamble on in the last week of the season, I think. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about another young pitcher. And James Paxton is a guy that we talked about before his call-up, so it was all speculation. Now we have a couple of data points in our toolbox. He had an outing today. Obviously, it was against a Tiger, so you, I hope nobody started him. Uh, but so far, I'm kind of intrigued. I mean, he hasn't had – 212 ERA, yes, but peripherals, not that great. But he throws harder than I expected. And he's gotten ground balls as well. Are you uh, as intrigued as I am? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I put him in my head in the beginning of the season as uh, a guy that was headed for um, headed for uh, uh, the, bet, the bullpen because, you know, people were talking about his inconsistent mechanics, uh, his declining velocity. He was down to 90 or something. I saw him in the spring. He was down to like 90 or 89 or something. I mean, it was, wow. it was pretty bad. And, um, you know, everyone was, you know, oh, you know, these, he's back control anyway and all this. Uh, I'm watching his uh, St. Louis start right now, and it's 93, 94, 95. Um, and, you know, compared to Ventura's start, which I just watched before this, uh, but, you know, compared to Ventura's mechanics, I, it's not as immediately obvious to me that Paxton has terrible mechanics. So, um you know, I don't know. You know, he's a lefty. You know, that gives him a little bit more leeway. I wouldn't put him. I wouldn't put him as a as a no doubt prospect. I wouldn't put him as a no doubt pickup. Um, but I would say he's definitely someone to be interested in. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys. Twelve team mixed leagues. He's probably going to be you know considered a sleeper uh, here and there. And I'm sure mixed leaguers probably he'll be an option to draft in the later rounds. And uh, I mean. He's thrown basically 160 innings this year, so he should be able to get to 180 next year, so that's not going to be an issue for him. And uh, I think he does have some intriguing upside. Obviously, a good ballpark. And uh, I, I don't know how those ground balls are going to stick. Uh, I mean, now, after today's start, it's down to 52%. He was mostly high 40% in the minors, so I don't. he's not a, an extreme ground ball guy. But if you combine 48% ground balls, maybe... Uh, High sevens, eight strikeouts per nine, and uh, you know, uh, 
a mid three walk rate. I mean, that's that's doable. I mean, at the very least, it's a spot starter streaming option with upside in a mixed league, and definitely somebody to keep an eye on as a, a sleeper type in an AL only league. And this is better than I expected based on a four forty five ERA Triple A this year. Yeah, yeah, but the nice thing about that ERA was that it came with a little bit better uh, walk rate than you had in the past. So, and that was like I think the thing that I mean, other than you know velocity, that was the thing that was uh, that was making people worried. So, um, he definitely, even though the results didn't look great, that's also I think a PCL park if I remember correctly. Well, he's also gotten killed by high BABIPs. I mean, his yeah. lowest BABIP. In all the minors, it was 302. Every other year, it's been massively inflated. And and sometimes you wonder, all right, maybe – because we always say that BABIP really isn't that much of a skill, but it is. I mean we always say, obviously, if me and you were in the majors, we're not going to have a 300 BABIP. So it's possible that there are pitchers in the minors that just don't have that ability to prevent hits on balls in play. Maybe Paxton is one of them. We don't know if it's bad defense in the minors or he just isn't good at preventing hits on balls in play. And so, and that's not something we're going to know until many innings down the line where it's going to be too late and we're going to realize, oh, I guess he doesn't have that skill. Yeah. Well, I mean, just watching him, you know, it's 95. You know, let's say you're Paulino. Felipe Paulino is an interesting guy because he used to throw hard, uh, but his fastball was straight. And um, that had a little bit of something to do with um, his high babbins, right? And then he got hurt. So, you know, we can't continue this argument with more data. But, um, you know, I don't see that Paxton's uh, fastball is as straight and is obviously uh, a problem. And, um, you know, like I said, being a lefty, you know, makes things a little bit easier for you. All right, let's take a Twitter question, and I'm almost guaranteed to pronounce this name wrong. It's from at John Chuinier. And uh, he has a, I was going to go French and say like Schwanier or something. I was going to be like, you know, do you have a better pronunciation? Shanway. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that one. I, I like the fancy the fancy pronunciation better. Uh, he's going to hate me. He writes for me over at uh, Beer Grabs. You know, hangs out over at Beer Grabs. And... Oh, you don't even know. He's an employee of yours and you don't even know how to pronounce his name? Well, I mean, we're on the internet. <laughs> oh, okay. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Just to type his name. And his, his name isn't that easy to type. Not that I should be talking. My last name isn't exactly easy either. All right. So, so he's in uh, a head-to-head league with some strange categories. He has fielding percentage on the hitting side. I already criticized him in his email to me. Uh, but but the question is about pitching. Oh, so, oh hold on. Before we do the pitching, I, I just got uh, an email – from Jeff Sullivan about um, about uh, uh, Paxton, which I think would be interesting. Okay, go ahead. Um, Sullivan says he was not a no-doubt reliever. That was a bit of prospect evaluator hyperbole. He's always been able to miss bats. The curve is pretty good. He had knee problems that might have contributed to the diminished velocity, and now the knee is good. Oh, that's, so, good. that's interesting because that backs up the intrigue that – we feel it makes me feel better about him moving forward. The the only question the only questions um, according to him are possibly the uh, third pitch, you know, the pitch beyond the curve, and we were talking about his command, and uh, possibly he uh, Bedardish. So well, hey, when Bedard was good, that's not a bad place to be because Bedard has been good. I mean, we probably we forget it now, but Bedard when he was healthy. 
earlier in his career, he was pretty darn good. Yeah, I definitely owned him some. But anyway, back to John's question. Yeah, he's got so, a uh, he's got a league. Yeah, head to head league. Uh, so we, it's about pitching the six by six categories: normal, win, save, strikeouts, ERA, WHIP, but also an odd wrinkle: walks issued. The fewer, the better. And that opens up a whole lot of gaming the system because now that's four categories that really benefit relievers and closers, four of the six. So right now he's in the finals. It's a two-week matchup. There's five closers on free agency. He already has three closers on his team. He's already met the inning pitch minimum. So he wants to know, is punting certain categories a legitimate strategy? And we've talked about this. And I said yes, because all you need to do in head-to-head leagues is win six to four. You don't have to have a balanced team. So he wants to know specifically, should he ditch all his starters and go pick up all those five closers on free agency, go all closers to pretty much guarantee he wins four of those six pitching categories? I say absolutely. Yeah, you know. One the one thing I would have said is like oh you know if it's not finals then what do you do next week and then you have to win it next week too but it's the finals man it's it's all points on deck and what I said about you know last week we're talking about head to head and and thinking about the final two guys on your roster as being more expendable in the finals you know it might be the all of your bench your entire bench is probably expendable including probably some starters if if something like this pops up you know and I guess my only caveat would be for him is you. Hopefully you're already winning an ERA and WHIP because, yes, you would normally win an ERA and WHIP. But if, let's say, you're losing an ERA and WHIP right now, all those closers might not be enough to whittle away your loss there. So if you lost ERA and WHIP and you only won saves and walks, then you would be in a, in a t- tough spot. So let's say he built up a lead in ERA and WHIP and then he goes all over to closers, then he should win all four. And the other risk with the innings as far as only going with relievers, is that if one or two of your closers blows up four runs in an inning, five runs in two-thirds of an inning, the rest of your relievers over these the next week and a half, they're not going to pitch enough innings to bring that ERA and whip down. So you think, oh, you're going to have all these good closers, you're going to end up with a 283 ERA. That's not necessarily the case in a small sample size because one or two blow-ups is going to completely ruin your week and you don't have enough additional innings after that to bring that ERA and whip down. So that's the risk. Obviously, if you have all good closers, and the fact that it's two weeks is going to expand the sample size and the, the innings total, but there is that risk as well. Yeah, I, yeah, that's um, yeah, this is kind of another way of putting it for sure. I, I think that uh, he just has to watch his ERA and whip. But you know what? I like the idea anyway because let's say that does happen. Hopefully it doesn't happen on the last day. Uh, it starts. You can, you could stream a starter. Yeah, exactly. Because you, because, and then you probably also flooded the waiver wire with some interesting starters, your own. <laughs> this is so, true. You can repick so, the guys that you dropped. Right. So he couldn't, you know, your opponent couldn't just like pick up all the starters so you couldn't stream a starter back. I mean, he couldn't get all your starters plus the streaming starters that are worthwhile on the wire right now. So there'll be some interesting starters on your wire. There'll be a good matchup. You might even take a shot at one of the Ventura matchups or, you know, whatever, Paxton at home. But um, there'll, be, there'll be a matchup you can take a shot at a couple of them to try and get your ERA back down. But um, I like it because then, even then, if you're streaming to, to get ERA and whip back down, you'll at least have saves and walks, you know, in the bag. 
Um, and it's it, that's a good way to sort of guarantee two, probably going to win four. All right, let's talk about a young catcher that we haven't really discussed since he made his debut, and that's Travis Darneau, who uh, I know you're familiar with how disappointing he is because you outbid me in Tout Wars, and I thank you for that. So... <laughs> Uh, 78 at-bats, only one home run, only three runs and four RBIs. It's as if he's done nothing. I mean, 167, this is nearly as disappointing a debut as one can possibly have. But, I mean, it's not all bad. Strikeout rate is fine. Walk rate is fine. He's just not showing any power. So are you changing your tune at all on Darno's future, or is this just, you know, small sample, pretty much ignore it? What are your thoughts here? Well, I think a couple things are going on. I mean, he came out of uh, a couple nice ballparks for power at the at um, in AAA, you know, in the Blue Jays. Uh, basically, he played in Vegas two straight years because uh, Blue Jays AAA was uh, Vegas in 2012, and then it switched over to Mets last year or this year. So uh, playing in Vegas is really nice for power. So that's where he got his best two power years. Um, you always had to discount that. So. I'd, I never really thought of him as a plus-plus power guy. Some people were talking Carlos Santana, and I think that's crazy. Um, I don't think he has that same kind of power. If you want to talk about walk rates, it's possible. But, you know, Darno before he got into the Mets organization, actually had below-average walk rates, like, almost all his career. So, um, you know, I never thought of him. I always thought of him as, like, a typical um, better-in-real-life guy because he's, he's a really good framer. Um, he can really stick the low pitch. Um, he's got good mechanics, throws throws to second well, and uh, I think he calls a decent game. So we're talking about a guy who's going to be good uh, defensively who right now looks like he can show average walk rates and better than average strikeout rates, and once the you know batter comes up to normal, be uh, an okay batter with a, with good defensive skills and be worth three to four you know wins above replacement. But I never really thought of him as a, a fancy god. I think he, you know, if I projected for next year, I'd, I'd project him 260 and 50 homers or something. <laughs> All right, so you have no idea the degree to which you read my mind. As I was preparing to ask you the question of projections for next year, you said, what would I project for him next year? And the over-under line that I had in my head, I was going to say 260, 15 home runs next year, over or under, and you hit it right on the head. Yeah, so now I have to choose <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, you know what I think is really interesting about that 260, 15 home runs? I used to have a friend um, who, uh, who, would, who would never draft a catcher until the very last round. And his point was basically they're, they're useless. They're all, you know, they, 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 they put up fewer at-bats. And, um, and you can find a bunch of guys in the final rounds that are fine. And I, and I don't necessarily agree with that on the, on the very extreme elite side because a guy like Buster Posey or, or certain guys in the, or like Carlos Santana, those guys play first base and DH, and they actually get a decent amount of, um, of plate appearances. So there's something to like about those guys in particular. But once you get – I think that this year I've said once you get past sort of like um, – you know, the six, seven, eight spots, I think pretty much between like eight and 16. It's a collection of the same. Yeah, there's just guys that are going to hit 260 and hit 15 home runs. Or maybe a guy will hit 270 and hit 10 home runs. Or a guy will hit, you know, 
40 and hit 20 home runs, you know? It's yeah. like So it's basically if you miss out on the top, like, let's say, five to seven guys, you basically want to be the last guy to draft a catcher because he's not going to be that much different than the number, let's say, 12 guy. Yeah, and I think someone will step forward. So, I mean, you know, if I miss out on one of the elite guys and I didn't want to spend that money, or if I'm in a two-catcher league, I will definitely take Darno as like my second catcher and uh, and hope it works out. But have an eye on another guy, maybe take a third catcher, you know, a catcher for my bench because, you know, there is some bust possibility there. Obviously, it's not a great beginning, but um, I, I I would say in in general, I'm happy about the things I've seen from him. Just defensively, he's not striking out too much. He, he started out with a ton of walks, so there's some things to like about him. All right, let's keep it on the catcher theme because I was quite intrigued by this question that I read from your chat today. And you were asked to compare for 2014 Wilson Ramos and Matt Wieters. And this is a question that in the preseason, it would have been a nutty question to ask. It would have been like, are you serious? Like, obviously Matt Wieters, but I believe you answered Wilson Ramos. Now, Wilson Ramos, we did discuss on the podcast on Sunday when I was with Brandon Warren but I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on Ramos because Ramos is showing amazing power this year that nobody really expected. And I mean, this is basically a valid comparison now. Yeah. But you know, one thing I said was that I don't, while I don't necessarily believe in the power he's showing right now, I mean, if you projected him to a full season, it'd be almost 30 home runs right now. Um, what I, what I do like about Ramos is his strikeout rate. Um, and, even though he's had you know above average whiff rates, he has a career of sort of. I mean, his career strikeout rate is sixteen percent. So uh, I think that does a pretty good job of representing him as a player. So to me, that means that and his career batting average is two seventy. Those are things I think are sustainable. Um, so so already we're we're, we're saying that he's going to be a little bit better than most catchers in batting average, and uh, his career ISO is one seventy eight. So if you put that, you know, to me. I'll take that over Weeters because um, Weeters is striking out more than that and has shown worse batting averages than that. And his um, ISO is only like a 180 um, career. So, you know, what you're saying is these guys are similar, you know, if you take baseline comparisons. But obviously Ramos is has – he obviously has more upside because he's showing it. Yeah, you know? I- I, I wonder what the deal with Matt Wieters is because his BABIP has declined every single year since he debuted in 2009, and this year it's an impossibly low 241. And his batted pro, ball profile doesn't suggest such a a low BABIP. I, I wonder if he has the tries to pull everything problem and never goes opposite field. I mean, there's got to be something there for his inability to post a, even a league average BABIP because. Yeah, this year he's popping the ball up a little more than league average, hitting a bit more fly balls. But if you look at his career, his batted ball distribution is pretty close to the league average, and yet his BABIP is below average. I don't know. I don't know why he struggles so much with BABIP. Yeah, you know, but, you know, just to get back to the comparison a little bit, um, he, uh, ever since his, his first year, um, since his rookie year, he's never hit for a higher batting average than Wilson Ramos's career batting average. So, you know, and 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 so Weeters hits 20 home runs. Do you think that if if Weeters hits 240 and Ramos hits 270, um, and Ramos hits for career power, 
you know, his career power projections, he probably hits 15, 16 homers. And then Weeders hits about 20 every year. I think I'll probably take the guys hitting 270. All right, here's another question for you. Who ranks number three in batted ball distance that includes home runs and fly balls in all of baseball? You're not going to tell me it's Matt Weeders. It's Wilson Ramos. What? Wilson Ramos currently sports an average batted ball distance of 311 feet, which is only two below Paul Goldschmidt, or three below Goldschmidt, two below Carlos Gonzalez, right ahead of Miguel Cabrera by .13, I guess, inches, uh, ahead of Pedro Alvarez, ahead of Giancarlo Stanton, ahead of Chris Davis, Adam Dunn, Wilson Ramos, there he is. I, I don't know what has gotten into him, but that alone is suggesting that his home number fly ball ratio, at least this year, is legit, which is nuts. You blow my mind, man. I, I, I didn't expect that. I, Here's a, another weird thing about uh, Ramos is that he's played 22 straight games. Yesterday in the doubleheader was the first day he sat in, in 23 games. So I don't know. The Nationals are kind of crazy because this guy was hurt this year, and then he comes back and they just say, hey, you're going to play every freaking day. <laughs> now, I mean, Wilson Ramos is really fascinating because his fly ball rate is that of like a, a speedy slap hitter. It's only 24%. The scary thing, though, is that if he changes his swing plane and if he gets that fly ball rate back up over 30%, I mean, that's all of a sudden looking at like a 30 home run hitter given that home run per fly ball rate. But with all this said, I think I would still take Matt Wieters just because I'm more confident that it wouldn't take that much luck to get his Babbitt back up and the batting average back into the 270 range. He has more of a history of showing power. He'll, he's more guaranteed of playing time, getting his 500 at-bats. We have to remember Wilson Ramos' career high at-bats at the major league level is still only 389. So counting stats, runs, RBIs, the uh, at-bat total, it, it all favors Weeders. So I'm still taking Matt Weeders ahead of Wilson Ramos next year. Here's the thing, though. What if, uh, what if I introduce Price? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to speculate on how much that's true. Each of that's them true. Are we don't know. We don't know what the price is going to be. But my assume, my assumption is that he'll cost less than Weeders, even with a bad year from your Weeders. If 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 that isn't true, and Ramos costs more, then maybe I would change my mind. But um, you know, I, I would assume that uh, he's a little bit cheaper. This, this is true. I mean, how many people are going to believe that Wilson Ramos' season is for real? He's still. If you look at his overall counting stats, they're not that great because he's only had 273 plate appearances. And and so a savvy owner might not realize that. And even if a savvy owner does, he's going to be like, oh, Wilson Ramos, I mean, he's, it was probably just a fluke. And so Ramos probably has higher profit potential. Right. Definitely. All right. Well, that wraps up our catcher discussion and our show for today. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.